is not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. This is the time to get to start these weeks with this here podcast each and every week leading up to WrestleMania season. And it is a crazy, crazy lead up to WrestleMania season right now. I mean, in two days, everything got thrown on its head. I mean, I don't know if anybody listening to this podcast shouldn't have been caught off guard entirely. But everything. You probably had WrestleMania all mapped out in your little head, in that little pinhead of yours. (laughs) But guess what? You were wrong. Everything's different now. You don't have to argue on the internet anymore about whether John Cena versus Elias is a good enough WrestleMania match. It doesn't matter because it's not happening. We don't have to figure out, well, what's The Fiend going to do if he loses to Roman Reigns? It doesn't matter. It's not happening. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Happy to start the week off with you. Happy you're here with me. Happy I get to be here with you. It's just an exciting time to be a fan. That's all. You got AEW doing pay-per-view over the weekend. You have the return of one of the great promotions of all time. Southpaw Regional coming back for season three. And let me tell you, it's not the Southpaw Regional that you saw in 2K20. Actual Southpaw Regional. Now, some of the superstars will probably be missing, but I think Bartholomew will still be there. It's my 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 favorite. I can't wait for it. I can't wait to see it all. As long as Chad Too Bad is still around, I'm there for it. But I do need to take a second. You know, I don't, maybe I don't need to pat myself on the back too hard because a lot of you guys were doing it for me. But look, I am so glad that it exists on YouTube, that it exists in the podcast. There was just something about the feeling of Super Showdown that made me go, I better, I better get my Just In Case podcast to as many eyes and as many ears as possible. I want as much evidence of this existing as humanly possible. Because I went over this plan a week ago, last Monday. I went over this plan of exactly what might happen at Super Showdown and why it could be okay. And as we got closer and closer to Super Showdown, as Thursday started approaching, I started thinking to myself, this is becoming much more likely. This is becoming a much more reasonable scenario to me. Reasonable uh, from the perspective of WWE in the sense that You know, I'm not sitting here going like, this needs to happen. I'm sitting here going, this is probably going to happen. So let's, let's strap in. Now, I did the Thursday podcast uh, and and went over everything that I thought of, of Super Showdown. And that's available on Patreon. If you want to hear a whole show review, that'll be there. I'm also going to have my buddy Jamie Kilstein on the podcast today. We're going to talk about Super Showdown in depth, but What I really want to talk about is what happened right after Super Showdown. I'm talking, and again, you know the rules. If you listen, I put out a social clip. I put out uh, uh, the full 30-minute breakdown on YouTube at YouTube slash Not Sam Wrestling. I put out this podcast. I tweeted about it. I made sure everybody knew that this was a distinct possibility. And at 10 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, on Friday, Things had played out, not just about 
literally exactly how we had thought they might play out based on what I said on the podcast on Monday. I mean, literally exactly to the point that we don't talk about Super Showdown because Friday night SmackDown started and the first words out of Bill Goldberg's mouth were, it's not about who was last, it's about who's next. Throughout the entire 120 minutes of grappling, there was no mention of the fact that The Fiend had lost the title to Bill Goldberg. There was a mention of the fact that Goldberg was the champion. There was a mention of the fact that he had won it the night before. But everything else, they took the Tony Soprano approach. Remember when is the lowest form of communication. And I agree with that. Number one, it's true. And number two, because that way, we don't talk about Super Showdown. When was the last time anybody talked about Hell in a Cell? We don't talk about that stuff. They don't bring it up. And they didn't. And I, I was like, look, I mean, I mean, and that's the way it has to be. That's the way you have to do it in order to kind of make sure that the fiend remains the fiend. And he can, if we don't talk about it, you're like, well, they destroyed the fiend. He lost in minutes. It was only a few spears. Wasn't even a great jackhammer. Okay. But if we don't talk about that stuff, who cares? It never happened. Didn't the fiend used to be universal champion? The fiend is scary. Firefly Funhouse is great. He's got a big match at WrestleMania. Yeah, but it's super. We don't talk about that. Goldberg versus Roman Reigns. Yeah, Goldberg versus Roman Reigns. That's going to be a big match. Yeah, because Goldberg beat the. You stop right there. We don't talk about that. We look forward. Okay. I categorize all of that other stuff as old stuff. And we don't talk about that. We got too much to look forward to, to look back on. You know what I mean? And that's exactly how this is going to play out. That's exactly how this has to play out. The question was, how does this not destroy the fiend? The answer is we don't talk about the fiend and Goldberg in the same context anymore. It's over. And there was so much stuff going on in the world of the WWE, especially as we lead to WrestleMania, that we're fine. We'll be okay. Because now something comes up. So theoretically, now I think it caught a lot of people off guard. Clearly, there was no time spent really talking about Super Showdown, except in the context of how it can move things forward. There was the mention that Goldberg had won the Universal Championship. There was the clip shown of AJ Styles and The Undertaker having a showdown, which again, really just a commercial for Raw, letting everybody know that this thing that is probably going to happen at WrestleMania might get settled on Raw. And, you know, obviously a mention of Miz and Morrison winning the Tag Team Championships. But this SmackDown was not a show about yesterday. This SmackDown was a show about where we are going. And there was a mad dash to say, here's what's happening at WrestleMania. Two main event matches, main event level matches anyway, announced for WrestleMania on SmackDown kind of out of nowhere, just because. Right place, right time for a lot of people. You know, there was this uh, advertisement that came out and it said, here's what the men's elimination chamber match is going to be. It was one of those local ads. I don't know. I think Elimination Chamber is in Philly this year on Sunday. 
already on Sunday. Can you believe that? Elimination Chamber is days away. It's on Sunday. And there was an ad in Philly that said it was like Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman and Nakamura and all these people. Well, that's not happening. On SmackDown, again, everything is changing. Everything that you thought was what was happening is changing. Because on SmackDown, Goldberg goes, who's next? Roman Reigns comes out. He goes, I'm next. We're kind of left. I was left going like, well, I feel like we're going into both Elimination Chamber matches knowing exactly who's going to win. You know, everybody kind of wants Shayna Baszler to win the Women's Elimination Chamber match because everybody's like, yeah, of course it should be Becky Lynch versus Shayna Baszler. And whether you're happy about Goldberg being the champion or not, get past it, grow up, and go, well, now who does Goldberg defend against? Clearly it should be Roman Reigns, right? I mean, I don't think that you could argue. You can argue that Goldberg shouldn't be the champion. Go ahead. We can have that conversation, but that's not the conversation we're having. As champion, who should Goldberg defend against at WrestleMania? You really, there's only three options, I guess. Some people were saying John Cena, but that's utterly ridiculous. The only two realistic options would be The Fiend and Roman Reigns. And the only way it can be The Fiend is if you talk about Super Showdown. And since we don't talk about Super Showdown, it's got to be Roman Reigns. So I was kind of going, and now the Roman Reigns-Goldberg confrontation has happened on SmackDown. So are we just kind of doing the Elimination Chamber matches as a ritual? Until the graphic comes up 20 minutes later and goes, okay, it's official. Goldberg versus Roman Reigns championship. I'm like, did Roman Reigns win the Elimination Chamber and I didn't even know? Did I skip something? I try to watch everything, but there's so much going on. I'm pretty sure. And then it gets announced. By the way, the Elimination Chamber match uh, on the men's side will be a tag team match. Similar to what they did with the women last year. The women's Elimination Chamber match was a tag match for the Women's Tag Team Championship, I believe. This year, we're going to have a Women's Elimination Chamber match. Winner goes to WrestleMania to take on Becky Lynch. That's on the Raw side. And on the SmackDown side, it's a Men's Elimination Chamber match with the Tag Championship on the line. Miz and Morrison defending, uh, let me see if I can get them all, against the New Day, Dolph and Bobby, Lucha House Party, uh, Usos, obviously, who got the pinfall over the new champions. And uh, one other team that I'm spacing on at the moment that I'm sure you'll uh, hit me in my app mentions with. So that's official. It's Roman Goldberg right now at WrestleMania. It's official, official. What we said, Roman Goldberg, Brock Drew, and then Cena versus The Fiend. Now, I that was probably the one part of this whole scenario that shocked me was not the fact that the fiend versus John Cena is happening, but the way it was happening. I thought John Cena's promo on raw was great. I mean, on SmackDown was great. I didn't think that he was really retiring. I didn't think for a second that he wasn't going to have a WrestleMania match. I was waiting the whole time. And here's the thing about SmackDown. Now, if you notice it sometimes ends a minute or two early. So even looking at the clock, you can't sit there and go, well, it's only 56 after the hour you know something's going to happen. Because sometimes it ends at like 58. Sometimes you never know. So I'm going, no. I'm waiting for, boom, 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 boom. I'm waiting for The Fiend to slowly turn the lights out. However, I thought John Cena was great. I thought, you know, he sounded emotional. He sounded believable. Boston was behind him. It felt like a big deal that he was there. I thought that all the John Cena hype that they built for him uh, on his way back was right 
You know, some people thought it was overkill. I did not think it was overkill. I think that uh, there are many reasons to paint John Cena in the most positive light possible. Number one, it's going to elevate the WrestleMania match 2,000% if you just keep beating into people's heads that this is, I mean, <laughs> this is the greatest of all time. Now, we can have that debate, and maybe we'll do a whole other podcast where we debate whether or not, I'm going to write that down, is John Cena the GOAT? Because Michael Cole said it many times, John Cena is the greatest of all time. Is he the GOAT? That's a different conversation. You could make the argument that he is. I mean, there's a lot about what he does that is the greatest, but, you know, you could make the argument about, about other people too. I think the conversation to have is, Hogan, Flair, Austin, Rock, Undertaker, Cena. Off the top of my head, those are probably my six that I would allow in the conversation. I mean, you'd probably want Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart to creep in there, but I don't I don't know how far they would go overall. It might be your favorites of all time, but in terms of GOAT status, I don't know. Um, but I almost feel like GOAT status also you have to be famous outside of wrestling. That's just part of it now. And John Cena is, you know, I think that I think that portraying him as the greatest of all time and running John Cena moments to break every single commercial break is not only going to heighten the WrestleMania match, the inevitable WrestleMania match before we know what it is, but it's also going to heighten John Cena when he shows up on television. It's going to make it seem like an even bigger deal that he's on SmackDown, which is good for WWE. And I feel like if people in the mainstream are watching, it'll make John Cena seem like a bigger deal outside of WWE as well. So I think it's a win-win for all scenarios. And I think that if you're going to have John Cena on, you should make the biggest deal possible. You know, it's really interesting too, because as much as people complain about this stuff and as much as people act like, you know, I can't believe that, like I, that was the thing. I can't believe that WrestleMania is for older guys now. And it's like, you know, it's, it becomes really tough to argue when you look at ratings and they go up when Goldberg's on and they go up when John Cena's on. And you could say that's because WWE doesn't build their talent enough. And that's, a, again, another conversation to have. But the reality is the reality. And people still get excited for John Cena. You know, the, 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 the comparison was made, uh, you know, it'd be like at WrestleMania 1 if Bruno San Martino came in and beat Hulk Hogan or something like that. And yeah, maybe, but Bruno San Martino, well, wrestling was different then. I mean, Hulk Hogan was the first superstar that became as big as 80s cartoon pop culture for kids. Hulk Hogan was on the level of He-Man and Ghostbusters. Hulk Hogan was a cultural phenomenon that went way beyond pro wrestling or WWE. And I get that Bruno San Martino was as big as somebody could get, but I mean, Hulk Hogan was a cultural icon, you know? And that's, and that's the way wrestling was built after Hulk Hogan. And so, and fan culture changed, as a matter of fact, also. I mean, fan culture in the 80s changed Everything. That's why the way we look at nostalgia of things from the 80s is different going forward. Every generation since the 80s has this deep nostalgia for their childhood stuff. You know, 70s nostalgia is not the same as 80s, 90s, and even 2000s nostalgia. 
And maybe it's just because it's older, but I think it has a lot to do with the amount of media that kids are surrounded with. This is a deeper conversation, but the way adults in their 30s and 40s, 20s, 30s, and 40s look back on their childhood is very different from the way older adults look back on their childhood. Even, you know, when, when a person in their in the 90s was 30, they weren't holding on to the stuff from their childhoods the way so many of us are now because it wasn't available because stuff wasn't forever then. Stuff was a little more disposable. Now, nothing goes away. As much as everything is disposable, everything's on the internet, nothing goes away and everything's forever. So I think that that's the big difference. And I mean, there is still an interest in seeing these people. There is still a huge interest in seeing a John Cena match and seeing there's still a huge interest in seeing Goldberg on television. You might not want to admit it, but there just is. You know, you talk about the lapsed fan and what can we do to get the lapsed fan back? Well, the lapsed fan hasn't watched wrestling since Goldberg was on. And so you're like, well, Goldberg's on. You're like, oh, okay, I'll watch. You know, I mean, that's, that's a thing and it's real life. And yes, it is terrible if, you know, Goldberg or somebody like that comes in and just beats everybody on the roster. But that's not necessarily what happens. It's what happened at Super Showdown, but we don't talk about Super Showdown. So, so okay, so we sidetracked a little bit. Let's get into um, the part that shocked me, or not shocked me, but uh, surprised me, was the confrontation between The Fiend and John Cena. Now, silly me, and I'm glad I didn't say this publicly because I would have been wrong, and I hate being wrong, but I expected... The Fiend to come out and do what he did to Mick Foley, Kurt Angle, Jerry Lawler. I thought that John Cena was going to catch him a mandible claw. I thought it was going to be maybe a little bit more violent, a little bit more angry based on the Fiend that we saw on Thursday. What was Thursday? We don't talk about Thursday. But based on the Fiend that we saw at the end of that match, what match? We don't talk about that match. But based on that Fiend, I thought he was going to come out a little more angry and vicious and really attack John Cena. To see The Fiend come out, fully lit up, no red lights, no dim lights, fully lit up, look at John Cena, and The Fiend actually do the point. You know, usually The Fiend feels so impulsive. The Fiend feels so uncontrollable. The fact that he had his wits about him enough that he said to himself, this would be a much bigger deal to do at WrestleMania. Let me not put my hands on this guy just yet. And he pointed at the sign. Um... I thought it was really unique. Some people thought it was very out of character for The Fiend. And it was a little bit out of character for The Fiend. But I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that it differentiates this match. And I think that what you had to do coming off of the match that we won't talk about is differentiate The Fiend. Immediately go into something brand new. Now, this match is confirmed and official, and the graphic came out, and it's happening at WrestleMania. But now... We got six weeks or so, maybe less than that, maybe about a month to tell the story. We got four or five weeks to tell a story between The Fiend and John Cena. Now we've got Bray to show up on the Firefly Funhouse and let us know why he chose to challenge John Cena. We've got John Cena. I would imagine he's going to do at least a couple more appearances before WrestleMania. Why did he accept? Why, when he said WrestleMania was about 
you know, the talent that's here day in, day out. Why did it all it took was one man to come out and point at a sign and John Cena was on board? Why all of a sudden the change of heart? So I think that's the story that's going to be told. And I think that that's good. But I think that the fiend learning how to point and not attacking John Cena, it tells it story. It differentiates. It makes it so that it's one thing to attack legends. It's one thing to take legends down, like the people we mentioned. But it's another thing to go face-to-face with John Cena. It, again, puts John Cena into this category of greatest of all time, not one of the best. Kurt Angle, Lawler, even Goldberg, those guys are among the best. John Cena, quote-unquote, greatest of all time. So, in order to get there, we're not going to have Bray put his hands on John Cena. We're not going to have Bray uh, attack John Cena. Is it because The Fiend is scared of John Cena? Is it because The Fiend is not as assured of himself? When he's around John Cena, maybe. Is it because The Fiend uh, has bigger plans for John Cena? Maybe. Is it because The Fiend doesn't want to lay the groundwork? The Fiend wants the attack on John Cena to be the attack? Maybe. But this will be the first time, because we don't talk about that other match, that really we may not see any physical confrontation between The Fiend and his opponent before their match, I think. And that's obviously deliberate. And I think it's I think it's a good way to go. Right now. You know, I think it's a good way to go based on the idea that I think we will grow from here, that I think story will be told from here. I'm very excited about John Cena versus The Fiend. I would rather see John Cena versus The Fiend than John Cena versus Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. I mean, theoretically, you could come out of WrestleMania with Roman Reigns being the Universal Champion, beating Goldberg, and The Fiend beating John Cena. And Drew McIntyre beating Brock Lesnar and becoming the WWE Champion. You could have all that happen at WrestleMania. And all of a sudden, this thing that people are criticizing, are being critical of for being uh, too much about the older guys... Well, it just became all about the younger guys. If everybody just goes in there and the stars of today just sweep the stars of yesterday, which is very possible, then we're on to a different thing. You know, I think if The Fiend, I think there was no way that The Fiend was going to beat Roman Reigns. I think if The Fiend beats John Cena, he certainly comes out of WrestleMania better than if he had lost to Roman Reigns. Because if he had lost to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, that's WrestleMania and that's Roman Reigns, and we would have had to talk about that. But Super Showdown, we don't have to talk about. So speaking of Super Showdown, now now we talk about stories. Speaking of Super Showdown, Goldberg and Roman Reigns go face-to-face on SmackDown. Roman Reigns gets a cheer when he first comes out. Then chance of you both suck start as Roman Reigns and Goldberg are staring each other down. Roman Reigns is a different Roman Reigns today than he was several years ago. Roman Reigns would have looked shaken by that chance several years ago. Today, Roman Reigns is ready for it. Roman Reigns is as professional as any sports entertainer could be. So he's in there staring down Goldberg. 
There are boos. And then there are you. And boos are okay because they might be booing Goldberg. But there are chance of you both suck starting. Okay, that's not the greatest thing in the world. Roman Reigns says, I'm next. And there is another cheer. There's an audible cheer. When he says, I'm next, people cheer. And then they shift into booing again. So, I feel like last week's problem was, what if Goldberg beats The Fiend? Explain to that, explain us, Sam, how we can make that better. And I did. This week, how do we stop an entire stadium in Tampa from giving Goldberg and Roman Reigns the Goldberg-Brock Lesnar treatment? A lot of people were emailing this question in. A lot of people were coming to me in my life with this question. This, A lot of people on Twitter coming to me with this question. This is the number one concern now. That yes, your scenario is all well and good and Roman Reigns beats Goldberg and that's all well and good and people would rather see Roman Reigns beat Goldberg than see Roman Reigns beat The Fiend. If you say so, Sam... But what happens if the entire match gets a dump taken on it by this crowd? How do you stop that from happening? Because if that happens, that does nothing for Roman Reigns. He holds the title up after beating Goldberg and people still boo him because they're still pissed that Goldberg was there in the first place. How do you stop that from happening, Roberts? Because that's not going to help anybody. Okay, I hear you. I hear you. Here's what needs to happen in between now and WrestleMania, in order for us to go into WrestleMania audibly wanting Roman Reigns to beat Goldberg. I think going into WrestleMania, everybody's going to want Roman Reigns to beat Goldberg. But I think the key is we need people to audibly want it to happen, specifically in Tampa. I already know a buddy who says, I'm going to WrestleMania, and I really just want to go to boo that match because it's funny. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it is kind of funny. But I wish you weren't doing that. It's not productive. So... How do you stop Tampa from dumping all over the match the way Madison Square Garden dumped all over the Brock Lesnar-Goldberg match at WrestleMania 20? First of all, two different animals. The Brock Lesnar-Goldberg match was uh, crapped upon because we in New York found out a day or two before WrestleMania, we knew Goldberg was leaving. So we took that to mean that Brock Lesnar would probably win, and that's fine. We found out a day or two before WrestleMania that Brock was also leaving after WrestleMania. So now we've got this match that's been built up as a super match, and we find out that both these guys are leaving. Now, the culture was different. This was 16 years ago. Now, when somebody leaves the WWE, it's almost like the fans give them a pat on the back. Like when Dean Ambrose or whoever's leaving WWE, the fans go, oh, good for them, good for them. They'll find greener pastures somewhere else. Back then, if you were leaving... Any organization, it was boo, you sold out, you sold out. It was frowned upon when people were leaving companies. That was the culture. So that's what it was. People were like, well, why should I care about this match? Both these guys are leaving. Both these guys have beaten many of our favorites, and now they're just abandoning us. I hate them. Boo, boo. So different scenario. However... That's not to say that reaction won't happen in Tampa. Here's, I think, how you stop that reaction from happening. You have to get real. I think that this story has to get real the way John Cena and The Rock got real. The way you looked at John Cena and The Rock and you felt real tension. The way John Cena 
mentioned that The Rock had his promo written on his wrist. The way those facial expressions were like, those two aren't acting. Those two hate each other. They're getting under each other's skin. I think Roman Reigns has to be the real voice of WWE fans. I think Roman Reigns needs to go on TV and goes and go, Goldberg, nobody wants you here. Goldberg, you're just here to cash a check, okay? I have been here night in, night out. I had to battle through literal cancer so I could get back here to perform every single night for these fans. I had to fight through the fact that they're all booing me. Bring it up, Roman. Bring up the fact that these fans have done nothing nice to him, but he's there for the love of the game. He's not there to once a year come in, collect a paycheck, and beat some young guy who deserves it more than Goldberg does. And he should tell Goldberg, I wish I was fighting somebody besides you for that title. You don't deserve that title. I'm going to take it from you at WrestleMania. And let Goldberg be the villain. Let Goldberg come in and say, here's the thing. I wouldn't come back if you guys didn't need me. I wouldn't be here if you guys could actually draw. You know, get real. Have Goldberg bring up the fact that the young guys can't draw any money. Have Roman Reigns bring up the fact that Goldberg is leeching off of everything that they're doing and burying people along the way. Tell the story that's being told anyway. Embrace the people booing Goldberg, but put it all on the table. Because if you've got Goldberg insulting the entire current generation and you've got Roman Reigns going, Nobody wants you here. We don't need you. You're just here for yourself. You're not here to save us. You're here because you want a paycheck and you're clinging on to the glories of yesteryear. If you have Roman Reigns say that, you got people engaged in this match. People aren't booing that match out of the building. People are here for that match. I think that, is the only way to handle this thing, personally. And I'm there for that. I'm there if that's the scenario. Look, my buddy Jamie Kilstein is here. Jamie Kilstein uh, is a comic uh, out there on the West Coast. Uh, he's been doing comedy for a long time. He's also a big-time podcaster. He's dipped his toes into the political world quite a bit, said some dumb things, said some smart things. But most importantly, for our purposes, he's a giant wrestling fan. And I wanted Jamie to come in and I wanted to talk to him about everything that went down at Super Showdown. We'll get back to breaking everything down in just a second. But you guys hear me talking about the second show that we do Thursday, not Sam Thursday. Well, if you're wondering where it is, it's become exclusive to patreon.com slash not Sam wrestling. The not Sam shills are the people that populate patreon.com slash not Sam wrestling. And you can become a not Sam show for less than a dollar a week. Our introductory level tier, less than a dollar a week gets full access to all audio. That means this podcast every Monday early, you get it on Sunday 
and ad-free and the exclusive Thursday, Not Sam Thursday show. Two shows a week for less than a dollar a week over at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. You're also going to get access to our Discord room uh, where you can talk to all of the Not Sam shills and myself about wrestling 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's always open, and it's just a really fun community to be a part of. If you want some extra free content, hit us up, youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. Subscribe to that YouTube channel for all of our free video content. And, of course, if you just want to support the podcast, do me the biggest favor in the world. Go to iTunes, go to Spotify, go to wherever you get podcasts from. Give the podcast a five-star review uh, and or, or a five-star rating. Leave a nice review. Do that for me. It helps more than you know. But I hope to see you in Not Sam Shill land. Become a shill today. Patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. Okay, I'm done shilling for the shills. Let's get back to it. So Jamie Kilstein is here. Hello. Buddy of mine. Comedian. Mm-hmm. But most importantly for the purposes of, of this. Yeah. Big time wrestling fan. I did, I, did I tell you I was gonna, at, I turned 38 in May, and a couple months ago I was like, I'm gonna become a professional wrestler. And I started training. You know who did that? Ron Funches. I know. And then yeah. he stopped. And then he was like, no, this is terrible. I, this is really difficult. Yeah, I will occasionally hear him mention it on his podcast uh, in the same way you'd talk about like uh, the ex that got away. Yeah. Where he's just like, yeah, you know, I tried that. And then it just kind of fades out. Yeah. And I remember when I was talking to him right before he was doing it, and I was like, you mean. Like for exercise or yeah. like as a hobby, and yeah. he'd be like, "No, I'm, I'm gonna go to wrestling." School. That's what I was telling my girlfriend. I was just like, "This is it." Well, because also <laughs> I and like the, the the I have DMs because I, uh, I I was just ugh, we're in a name drop already. Um, I just went to NXT because my buddy Kyle O'Reilly uh, got me. In oh, it. your buddy Kyle! My buddy. I think I've heard of him. And uh, and I was looking at the DMs I sent before him, and they were just earnestly like me being like, "I found my dream, and we're gonna do that." I'm not doing it. Uh, You're not going to, right? No, I no, I'm 38. <laughs> I, I've been doing jujitsu for 20 years. Literally, never got injured until uh, I started wrestling. I can like the reason I was limping down uh, your steps yeah. is because of like trying to do like tiger rolls over the top rope. Have you tried? Have you gone to wrestling school? Yes. 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 So you did it. You started the process. Yes. Uh, I did it. I. Because I, I, I... there are guys, you know, I mean, look, 38 is late to get started in the game. Well, Kyle was telling me Bobby Fish. That's what I, I was. Bobby Fish was the guy that I was talking about. And he also has that jujitsu background. Yeah. And, and so I'm like, you know, I don't. I'm not here to squash anybody's dreams. <laughs> Would I put money on the success of it? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know if your years of experience in comedy would lend to the athletic portion. Well, and that's the thing. No. Like, I'm, ca- I'm <laughs> Yeah, ca- because cause the thing about Bobby Fish, too, is he's been wrestling for years. Right. right. Right? He didn't just start. Well, and also the only thing that I could have done. So, literally, I remember we did a class on, like, Mike skill stuff. Where did you train? Uh, the same place Ron did, Santino's. Okay. Uh, and I was training with uh, Brian Kendrick and uh, with Eli Everfly. He was a great indie guy you guys should check out. And uh, they were great and everyone was wonderful. And then, uh, yeah, the Mike day, I killed it. Right. As this sort of like overly woke uh, vegan guy. And not but two weeks later mm-hmm. was when Daniel Bryan started doing that angle. And I was like, well, at least... My idea was very good. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, then you he, were like, well, hopefully he'll be terrible at it. And you were like, oh, my God, he's incredible. Is, oh, this is the best he's ever been and <laughs> yeah. is reinventing SmackDown as a brand. Great, great, great. Yeah, okay. So, and then he brought out the, the hemp belt. Uh, it's like, so. I mean, people have criticized it. I was thinking about it literally today. 
I was like, I want, because I don't really do the replica belt thing. Yeah. Replica championship. Oh, right, right. But, but I want, I guess if it's a replica, it's okay to call it that because you don't need to give it the prestige. Yeah. I, we, that's a deeper conversation, <laughs> which uh, has flooded my app mentions for about 48 hours. But I want a replica. Uh, what was it called? The, uh, what's it called when you can, when you use recycled goods? Uh oh I I I don't know I I was like a fake liberal I'm like I'm I'm vegan so that's and I didn't I don't think I've ever recycled because I'm like <laughs> I'm I'm doing my part all my friends make fun of me I don't need to recycle <laughs> it's like it's sustainable yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, I want to get a replica to sustainable WWE championship and I do I've decided just today I want a replica of the Fiends Universal That'd Championship that would be great I mean because it's just the oddest. It's weirdest. Both of them are just there is no context. But it's so funny because like you watch the Ruthless Aggression era doc that they're doing on the network now. Yeah. And when John Cena came out with the spinner title, you thought there is this is so weird. It's yeah. so ugly. And there is no practical application for anybody except John Cena to hold that title. Yeah. But they were like, well, yeah, but we don't care. Yeah. Because then Alberto holds it and CM Punk holds it and everybody held that. Well, title. with Daniel Bryan too, it was cool because it was, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like, here's something cool for the fans. It was literally like him being like, fuck you guys. Yeah, this is for me. This is only for me. You're all going to boo hemp, which is hysteric. He got people <laughs> to boo hemp. That was the beauty of it that MP, some people were confused by it, that he would like come on the air and have, Shirts on that said racism is bad. Like those are probably goes, his save real the shirts. planet, and he, and like all this stuff that you go. No, the mm -hmm. things he's saying yep. would be good. They're good things. But the way he's <laughs> saying, and that should be a lesson to everybody. Like it, the way he's saying them is so hateable. Yep, yeah, because the vegan thing is understandable. Like I mean, my friends, I could literally be at like a uh, a uh, 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 Noam Chomsky Save the Planet fundraiser keynoted by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And if I was like, are there vegan options? Everyone would be like, boo, get the fuck out. You're yeah. fucking gay. And there would be so- What do you think, you're better than me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Ruth Bader, she throws her gavel down that she brings around for some reason. And uh, so that I understood. But watching him work the crowd so much that he could just say, yeah, save the planet. And everybody's just like, get out of here. But that's the genius of like, I mean- A good heel? Of Daniel Bryan. He's of just like this performer- that is on another level. Like you look at him, mm -hmm. right? And I remember, like, here's when I knew Daniel Bryan was special. When he was in Ring of Honor, and I took my wife to a Ring of Honor show. And she's not even a wrestling fan, right? So the fact that I've now taken her, and this was back in the day, this was like, I don't know if it was Ring of Honor quite at its peak, but it was right when Ring of Honor was still like the name in independent wrestling. But it was like, what if I take all like the show business stuff, all the fireworks and the big, like, sensational stuff that a non-wrestling fan could enjoy. What if I took all that out and just brought you to a show where it's just wrestling? And yeah. she was like, why? But we saw Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson at the time, and Nigel McGuinness at the Hammerstein Ballroom. Oh, wow. And she just goes, that was a really good match. And I was like, literally, that's the only time you've ever appreciated yeah. a match as a match. But that's, that's how good. So, like, you look at Daniel Bryan and you think... Well, yeah, I mean, he's a wrestler. He's just so good at being a wrestler. It's okay that he doesn't have any personality. And then he starts talking, and you're like, oh, he's got more personality than anybody. Yeah, I, I was listening to him interviewed uh, on my buddy's podcast the other day, um, and he's so smart. He's, he's just, a genius. Yeah, he's yeah, so yeah. smart, and just he's really, like, he's self-deprecating. He's really funny. Um, but that's an interesting thing you said about 
I just remember a very earnest uh, DM I sent to like some wrestler. That's even more embarrassing about, about how put, I was going to be. You just be... put yourself out there. Like you don't really, you so don't I, really have a lot of shame. No, 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 no. no, no. This, <laughs> no. this is my, this is my, this is my podcast. This is, it's, hey, I've done this. So you can feel a little better about yourself as a person. <laughs> uh, and, and so, cause even like my like triumphant stories, like I started to tell you off the air where it's like, I hitchhiked to you when you were like, how long have you been watching WWE? And I was like, I hitchhiked to meet Mick Foley, mm-hmm. which sounds like a very cool, badass story. Uh, the reason I did is because I was currently being catfished on America Online by a strange man pretending to be Mick Foley. Oh, my God. Because this was when, like, Instant Messenger, like, no one really knew yet. So, like, every uh, girl you're meeting up with, guy, and people were pretending to be celebrities. That was, like, a big thing. Dude, I never <laughs> tried to meet anybody. But, like, yeah, fake wrestling, fake being a fake wrestler on AOL. That was huge. It was a culture. Yes. It was a whole thing. My AOL screen name... Was G Dust one? Mine was Jericho something. And I literally made a profile that made it seem like I was really Gold Dust, but I didn't really say I was. I got my dad either two or three times. Yeah, we couldn't sign on to AOL <laughs> because at the time you would get a terms of service violation, <laughs> yes. and the whole you would you would have an account where it'd be five screen names on the account. So like the family, so my, it was my dad's AOL, obviously. Yeah. But I'm 13 or whatever, and my screen name's Gdust1. And like multiple times he came to me and he was like, Are you pretending to be a problematic wrestler again? <laughs> it's, it's, AOL says that we can't sign on. <laughs> Sam, did you get a terms of service? I was like, oh, Yeah, I was. Were you pretending to be Goldust on the internet again? I was like, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I so was. I was talking to you, Mick Foley, <laughs> and was telling him, you know, I was doing backyard wrestling. I was convinced that I was going to like get a VHS tape to Vince McMahon. And, uh, and I was going to do this. And then there was this Mick Foley character and we were having these like in-depth conversations. And I was like, and what era Mick Foley do you think this was? Like, was this? Oh, interesting. It, it wasn't ECW. Cause I wasn't that cool yet. Cause I was younger. It must've been like early mankind, like 96 ish. No. Cause I think I was, no, he it must've been like cat. I know. I knew about cactus Jack. Okay. Whether that's from ECW or when they tried to probably bring him back WWE, to WWE. Yeah. yeah. And so, so I was telling him, you know, he's like, well, what's your style like? And I was like, um, you know, well, I do, I do martial arts, um, but I want to be like hardcore like you. And so he named me, um, hardcore Don Lee, uh, like <laughs> Bruce Lee. And I didn't like Don, but I was just like, this is Mick Foley. You can't say no to that. Right. And so then Donald uh, Lee, Donald, it's like Bruce Lee, but Donald, <laughs> but Donald, it's like Bruce Lee, but very white. Um, and so I, he was doing, him and Al Snow were doing a joint signing together, like somewhere in Pennsylvania, and I grew up in New Jersey. So me and my little brother uh, hitchhiked, um, and I'm like, this is amazing. I'm going to see Mick Foley. I'm going to tell him that his prodigy, uh, a young hardcore Don Lee, is here. And, dude, I still get chills of embarrassment when I got up to the front of the line and was like, I'm a hardcore Don Lee. And he was like, cool. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> you might not have heard of me. <laughs> this is the, the hardcore Donald Lee. And uh, and I was like on Instant Messenger. And he's like, oh, he looked concerned, like a parent, where he was like, and you were going to come meet me? He was like, no. He was like, anyone who tells you he is me is not me. And like, yeah, and then you find out like later. Right, because that was probably right before he put his book out. 
Yeah. Maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I definitely I bought those. Yeah, for so sure. So then you find out that he wrote his whole book on in notebooks yeah. because he didn't use a computer at the no. time. And you're like, what? No. But I'm hardcore Tom yeah. And when I'm younger, I was just so bummed out about not being able to pursue this hardcore Don Lee. And like, I, you know, in my head it was going to be martial arts movie and he was going to train me and all this stuff. Um, but now that I'm an adult and I tell that story, I, I was just like, I should have been killed. Like, I <laughs> And by the way, if not by fake him, if by whoever I hitchhiked, like this wasn't the seventies. Right. No, uh, this like, was the mid to late. 90s. And it was like this big guy in a van, but he was like, no, what happened? We had to switch cars because the car I was in broke down. And then I just remember this big van and we had wrestling shirts. He's like, you going to meet Mick Foley? And so me and my brother just got in his van. Then my dad had to pick us up because he found out what we were doing. But then when I went back to look at the screen name, it wasn't Mick Foley. It was literally Mick Foley. Like there were two O's. And I was just like, son of a bitch. Oh, it was right there. Yeah. And he made it. Like He was like, clearly this is a parody. It says Foley. I know. And so I wrote this piece call just for like medium or something called like wrestling is real and it was after the first uh aew event not the television one but the first like pay-per-view they did mm -hmm. um where oh, like before they had actually started on TV. Yeah, yeah yeah which yeah. was so cool and i wrote this piece and i opened with kind of that story and then it went into you know cody fighting his brother and like how like emotional and sentimental wrestling can be even as an adult, like now that I'm coming back to it. And because I said the Don Lee thing, I think it might have been O'Reilly, but one of the poor, unfortunate professional wrestlers that I DM'd saying, like, oh, I'm going to do this, was like, I hope one day to see hardcore Don Lee <laughs> lace up his boots. And I, I saved that message. Uh, yeah, so that's my so fucking you, wrestling backstory. So you've done martial arts, like you've kind of trained as a hobby martial arts for how long? Uh, for a really long time. And then when I kind of took a break from stand-up, so I was like 17 when I started. Um, when I took a break from stand-up was when I started in LA. I started coaching jiu-jitsu at Henzo Gracie's and coaching Muay Thai. And then that's why I started training at the same time at Santino's. And I was like, I could probably come up with some like dope stuff. Right. So I was, cause like my jujitsu was like legitimately good. Um, and so, yeah, so that kind of became my world. And what I loved about professional wrestlers so much is because you'll relate to both of these things is when I was just around comics, I was just like all the depression and bad voices would come out and I was drinking and I was unhealthy because that's sort of part of it. Yeah. Like the people we idolize the most are like the most fucked up. Right. Like you see them, when you're watching just the comedy part of it, you're like, oh, and you just kind of imagine what the what that dark side is. But once you get into comedy and you're actually interacting with that dark side of it, you're like, oh, it's all it's real. It's all it's <laughs> yeah, all very this is, real. This is not story. No. Anymore. And I mean, dude, even like uh, like Robin was one of my closest friends and he, we, you know, and like everybody, like I didn't think about it, that that, that would happen where when we would talk on the phone. We would talk about my depression, which, by the way, when the guy who's helping you with your depression kills himself, you're just like, well, I'm fucked. <laughs> uh, like, I'm, I'm done. And and so when I started doing comedy again and I was going around the comedy store and stuff after spending a year just around athletes and being around athletes, it was the first time I heard people be like, you can like yourself and like you can be positive. Or it was the first time people would, you know, read self-help books or do positive affirmations or eat well or whatever. And I start and, and it really affected me. Like it saved my life. And then I, but that's that athletic thing, right? You have to have extreme confidence in yourself no matter what your sport is when you go out there. Yeah. Otherwise you're just not going to be able to perform. No, if a comedian told you, 
the things that Conor McGregor did. If a mm -hmm. comedian was just like, yeah, I just like visualized it and stuff, people would be like, ugh. Yeah, like, they'd yeah, be yeah, disgusted yeah. by it. And so what I loved about pro wrestling, so I went back to the comedy store for like a night and suddenly I'm drinking again and I'm like depressed and I'm like, this is what you do. And what was so beautiful about professional wrestling is I went my first day to train and the first thing you do is you do like rolls. You do forward rolls, but you go one at a time in the ring. And I show up and everyone is, I mean, they look like they could kick the shit out of all the fighters I train with. They're just huge. And uh, I showed up at the pro class by accident, which I, <laughs> which Kendrick just let me keep going because sure. he's just the best. Yeah. And, um, and they're so big and I'm like kind of intimidated. Um, I think I wore like a jujitsu shirt just to show people like, for the record, I could like kick your ass. <laughs> uh, but it's only because I'm very scared right now. Mm -hmm. And so the first person did their somersaults. And it was just huge, six foot something, dreads. And everybody just started sincerely clapping. And I was like, oh, this is sort of that, the perfect combination. That's why I really wanted to do it because it's like, you all take care of yourself and you're healthy, but you're also like theater dorks. Yes. And that's what I loved about it is I'm like all the wrestlers I've met, I'm sure they're assholes, they're assholes in every industry, but everyone I've met has just been l lovely, like legitimately lovely. So what was the thing that you were like, oh wait, this is not going to work out at all. I just didn't have time. I was like, I have to do, if I'm going to do it, because I also have this addictive personality. So if I'm going to do it, I'm like, I'm going to be the best. And and once I got injured, I was sidelined for a little, I was even sidelined from jujitsu. How did you get injured? Uh, my hip, doing those, like, literally the, the tiger rolls over the, I just did so many of them. Did something just? Something. Like, it's still, this was like a, a good eight months ago. And I'm still like, Having trouble walking, like for jujitsu too. And that's when I was just like, oh, I have to do other things. And it's going to be a long time till. And I remember Ron said this on a podcast too, where he was just like, when they were like, yeah, you're just going to have to like quit and maybe like get a day job again. And it's like, me and Ron already did that. Like, I lived out of my car for two years trying to get stand-up gigs. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm all about being humble and getting to the back of the line as I'm like rebuilding my comedy and podcast audience and stuff. But I can't get to that point. Where I'm like, work. I've worked too hard to right. not do something that, you know. Yeah, I mean, and plus when you're in your 20s, it's a little bit ro cares? more romantic yeah, yeah. than when Wh you're 38. Which I will say to anyone listening, uh, if you want to do it, just go do it. Like, that's a bizarre thing where, um, God, I hope I didn't sidetrack because I know we have to talk about, uh, talk about Super Showdown. But um, for people who... It's so bizarre how many people, and I'm sure you meet them too, who they did the quote unquote safe thing and they're miserable, which to me means that wasn't safe, right? Like yeah. I, I was teaching jujitsu the other day and I was trying to make this, this point that if you go into the scary place, that's where you're going to hit the move. So you have to get really close to them in order to pass their guard. Um, but if you stay in this middle ground because you're nervous, you're actually in more danger. So, and I feel like that's like, mm. a, 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 that that's a life thing where it's like, if you do the scary thing at first, you're going to be in a far less scary position because maybe you're living your dream. Maybe you found a way, maybe even if you're not wrestling, you found a way to do commentary or whatever. Um, but if you don't do the scary thing, you're going to end up in such a scarier position, which is a mediocre life that you hate and resent. Okay. So. What if you are running a wrestling promotion? Yeah. And you go, I'm going to do something that I really want to do. Yeah. Because I think it's the right move. Oh, no. But it's going to piss everybody off. Okay. If you look at it from that mm -hmm. perspective. This is a good segue. <laughs> do you go, oh, 
it's really kind of admirable that Goldberg beat The Fiend at Super Showdown. You know, what, cur- <laughs> what courage. Those, when those executives said everyone's going to hate, you know who else said that everyone's going to hate them? Martin Luther King. But he had a dream. Yes, and our dream is for Goldberg to once again be the universal champion. That's the vision, and it's risky, and a lot of people are going to be upset by it. A lot of people. But really, when they look at the bravery we had yes. to really shove it in every single fan's face. <laughs> there, I will say this about Goldberg, and I talked about this on the Patreon podcast, that there is the reaction that I think is my favorite reaction to it Yeah, are all the people online that are laughing because they feel like WWE trolled the internet fans again. A little bit. And I'm like, when when, when you can sit there and laugh, at it because people are so upset. I like that. What's so funny is I, I've been off Twitter for a while because, like, Instagram just makes me happy. And uh, I've been off Twitter, so I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to think. I'm, a, <laughs> a, a, I'm a, This is great. I can just come in with my own opinions. Yeah. And people might be really mad at me. Um, I can say this. I can trash it. Um, so you won't be accused of being a shill. I'm, I am really glad I listened to your last podcast, too. Kind of pretty kind of predicting this thing that we will not talk about after this show. I got, yeah, and we don't talk about Super Showdown anymore. By the way, I didn't even grow up watching Goldberg. So I didn't, I can get like a little nostalgia with The Undertaker, like Shawn Michaels I freak out about. Goldberg, that was the phase I wasn't watching. Yeah. So, and I love The Fiend. Well, what about this thing that was set up? Like, what, what about this idea that, look... Well, he kind of did what you hated about the uh, about the the Rollins match, where it's just like, oh, he's fine after he lost again. But then I guess they had him disappear, which was a little different. Here's the difference for me: he was angry after he got up. Right. He was the fiend was angry at Goldberg. Yeah. When he got back up, it, like he was pissed, and so I did like the disappearance. That was like kind of creepy, and where, it made you. And now, like now, that door opens to the point where people are going, oh. He was mad at Goldberg. He was staring daggers through him. He didn't leave the ring. He got up. Yeah. And then he disappeared. So it's like, oh, is there going to be a rematch? Yeah. So are you kind of backtracking? Because I liked your angle where you're like, all right, set up something new and cool. Don't talk about it. Goldberg will do whatever. But it actually could be more interesting now that you said that to just have him be almost haunted by it and what his reaction will be and just have him going after Goldberg like to no end. But I yeah, don't know. no, not for not for me because I just don't, I just don't care about Goldberg. Well, I don't problem. Oh, because you didn't grow up with him, exactly. Right? That way you weren't yeah around in that era. But like, no, if it was like the the one two three kid or Barry Horowitz, I'd be like, <laughs> this is amazing. This is of course okay. Barry Horowitz should win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. No, I think that uh, I, I I don't see, I don't see the Fiend beating. So the thing about the Fiend is he's such a unique character that. In order for it to make any sort of sense that he's going to have a rematch with Goldberg, we're a week away, less than a week away at this point, from Elimination Chamber. Oh, jeez. So, and if he's not, like, Goldberg did not win the Universal Championship in at, at Super Showdown just to lose it a week later at the Elimination Chamber. Like, that's not going to happen. That no. doesn't make any sense. So, the only logical next step would be go to WrestleMania with it and do the Fiend-Goldberg rematch at WrestleMania. But are we really going to see the Fiend raise his hand triumphantly against Goldberg at WrestleMania? Like, that's the biggest sort of babyface underdog scenario that you could set up for somebody. And that's not the Fiend. Right. And right. Like, that's Daniel Bryan's scenario. That's, that's you know, Kofi, that's Kofi's like, scenario. Yeah, yep, that's yep, yep. all these, like, 
The Fiend is the unbeatable guy. So in order to do a rematch, if it were at WrestleMania, you would have to set up The Fiend as conquering the one foe he hasn't been able to conquer, but it's like that's not who The Fiend is. The Fiend is supposed to be no. the unbeatable guy, and the only way we get back there is if we don't talk about Super Showdown. Yeah, I mean, I kind of think that has to happen. And also, and I don't know this, this isn't me just, like, being a jerk to Goldberg, but, like, can he, would he even be able to carry, like, a full... Uh, long, like, good triumphant WrestleMania match, or was what he did yesterday kind of well, yeah. as far as he can go? Like, do a Goldberg's bunch, do never a bunch done of spears. Long match. He hasn't anyway. Like, right? he, like it, it, at Goldberg's peak, it was it was that spear jackhammer. Like, that's who Goldberg is. That is so. Yeah, yeah. So you know, the idea that Goldberg is there to have ever done it's sixty minute Broadways. That was never Goldberg was always. It's almost like the fiend is. That the writers keep trying, because this is not the first time people have been furious with what has happened with The Fiend. You we don't what? talk about Hell in a Cell. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> Was that what it is? We don't talk about Hell in a Cell, so I don't know Are what you're just not going to be able to talk about The Fiend in like three years where like we, no, can't, we, can talk talk about about, we can't talk about We can talk Goldberg. about Crown Jewel. We can talk about that. Okay. We can talk about Bray Wyatt versus The Miz. Great. <laughs> we could talk about SummerSlam, Fiend versus Finn Balor. Great. We can talk about like those times okay. he comes out on Raw and lays out legends and stuff like that, and the Firefly Funhouse promos. We can talk about all those. Yeah, but we have to like Eternal Sunshine the rest from our yeah. from our brain. That's exactly right. <laughs> I like that's that, exa- and you can enjoy it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, and this is and again, I talked about this on the on the Thursday show. But like, so the way this gets better is if the Fiend has just a different triumphant moment at WrestleMania. You know, and they were also, you know, or do you think they're really trying to? Because if it goes your angle, like if he is just livid and somehow gets even more furious, do you think maybe they didn't like the fact that he was kind of becoming a face? And they're like, all right, maybe this is the thing that sets him off. And the next person he attacks and they want him to be the kind of like invincible bad guy. It's kind of hard to to to, yeah. to, to pull back. So. Yeah, so there's a couple things. Number one, I'm surprised at how many people I'm reading that actually, like, a lot of people I saw are like, well, The Fiend's a one-dimensional character and he should never have been champion anyway. And I was like, I don't agree with that at all. I was shocked when I saw a couple of those takes. Like, yeah, I don't, I think The Fiend becoming champion is like the sort of unexpected, Mm -hmm. we're listening to fans... We're not just keeping the title on Seth Rollins for the sake of keeping the title on Seth Rollins. That's what I thing. thought, because that was getting old. And what's so cool about him is, like, m- my favorite style of wrestling is the the um, Matt Seidel, Shawn Michaels. Like, I just love those. Uh, I love, like, the, the young, the smaller guys, the high-flying guys, whatever. And so he's not even my style of wrestling. But what's so cool is he has this combination of, like, this incredible legitimately hilarious character when he's doing the funhouse bits and then this haunting i also never gave a shit about you know the big like the brock lesnar like i'm just big and unbeatable or the goldbergs or whatever mm-hmm. but he's so creepy because you're it's the mankind like yeah, you're yeah, just yeah. you're he's so creepy um yeah and I think so he pulls off both so well at some so at some point he will have to go full good guy i think so too because the thing about the fiend that i think is so unique and i've talked about this in some context before, but now it's every, for the most part, most bad guy wrestling villains are action hero villains. Right. Where you want them to lose, you want the good guy to conquer them, you want them to be be defeated. I mean, 
Ted DiBiase might as well have been something out of Die Hard. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like they're like 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 classical wrestling villains. Like Seth Rollins, for example, today. Yes. Seth Rollins is an action hero villain. I'm waiting for the Fast and the Furious to come and stop yeah, the yeah, evil yeah. Seth Rollins, right? But but the Fiend is a franchise horror movie villain. And you don't want franchise horror movie villains to ever really die. No, you, you never, there's no franchise. You don't there... watch Friday the 13th hoping Jason Voorhees dies. No. Like, no. you don't sit there and go... That guy deserves to go to prison. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And when, the, and when the final girl is there and she defeats Jason, you're not sitting there going like, I wonder what happens with her next. Right. You're like, I want to go... Yeah, yeah, Let's get more Jason I hope stuff. the next movie is her starting a family and going through therapy and yeah. starting like a healthy life. Yeah, and also like some of the biggest... Best, most successful faces, like, they started off as heels, and they were just so good. Yeah, yeah. And it was the slow transition, too, yeah. um, which was cool. It was, like, the I remember when I was a kid, that moment being, like, when they finally turned, like, officially uh, baby face. And I was, I would be, I was little, I would be so excited. I'd be like, I wonder if they're going to slap hands. Like, I wonder if Razor Ramon is finally going to slap hands mm -hmm. instead of like throw the toothpick. And that was like such a big deal to me as a kid where you're like, it's official. Like he's good. Or, I mean, or even, even, I mean, I think that it's the undertaker becoming a good guy. Right. Like that was one of those where that broke every sort of tradition. Cause you'd sit there and literally this was the guy who brought in, was brought in and a year into his run. And at that time, rest, the pace of wrestling was much slower than yeah. it is now you're talking about you know an hour maybe two of television a week mainly enhancement talent matches like yeah. it was not just like here's stuff happening here's stuff happening a year into his run he's literally the guy who beat hulk hogan and that wasn't happening then right but within a year of that six months after that they were like i think i think this is a good guy yeah i think so this is just somebody that people this character, and we don't really need to change the character so much as much as we just change who his opponents are. So I have a question for you, uh, and this might piss people off, but it's a legitimate question because I do like him so much. Um, when you brought up The Undertaker, that reminded me of that can be how The Fiend, because it's not like The Undertaker turned into a good guy and the next week was like making jokes and like shooting a t-shirt cannon. Like, character stayed the same. Which is how you can do The Fiend. Yeah, totally. Um, with that said... I loved, I loved the Rumble. That's what made me start watching wrestling every week again. In general, or this, or this, this one, year, this yeah. one okay. uh, was so good, and like the Edge stuff was so good, and uh, the Roman Reigns stuff was incredible. Or sorry, uh, the uh, Drew McIntyre mm -hmm. was incredible. I kind of have that, like I like it, and he seems like such a great guy. And I watched him in like indie promotions and liked him. This is like my like I have a black friend before I say something racist. <laughs> um, but do you think? He went, he turned, like, normal, cool guy, good guy so fast. Yeah. Where he was very bad and very scary and very good, like, still respected by the crowd, and people freaked out at WrestleMania. But now watching him give just, like, normal, chill McIntyre, like, kind of inspirational interviews, it kind of threw me. Yeah. And it, and if you watch, like, over the course of several weeks, it was happening pretty subtly. Yeah. But— He's another one where people were just ready to cheer for him. So they're just ha so it's just and it's sometimes happening. it's like yep. yeah. Well, and you look at Drew, and even though you're booing him in the back of your head, you're going, well, yeah, of course he should be champion. Yeah, right. Well, I think I, I think it was weird for me because I liked him so much 
like that on that kind of like toe in the line, good guy, bad guy, that when suddenly he was just like hugging kids and stuff, I was like, like this is weird. But, but, but you then, listen and like people are cheering him. And it, it's, it's like totally the fact working. that people are yes. cheering the good guy, you can't take it for granted. No, 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 no. Like I'm happy it's happening this way. It was just, it seemed a little jarring yeah. considering his persona. Like he made a very quick switch. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that so I think that going back to the fiend and that kind of moment after he, when he's when he's got that sort of anger yeah. at Goldberg that maybe we see a little more of that and and I think that we see it with other opponents not necessarily this isn't a Goldberg thing anymore I don't think I think this is a could be looked at as a chapter in the story of the fiend that we'll see a little bit more evil scary That's what I'm thinking. Frightening I mean, he might fiend just go on like and a, a little a little bit less of goofy Firefly Funhouse Bray. That could be really cool. And especially give us like a, a scary heel run before he turns just yes. to like remind people where if he just goes on a terror spree and starts indiscriminately attacking people and like it's one of those angles where it's just like uh, he's gone nuts. We don't know where he can be. He's attacking everybody. Yeah. Um, it could be cool. That would be the only payoff for me is to see him completely lose it. Like, yeah. I mean, look, I think that at the end of the day, he just has to keep winning matches. Like, you can't, and like, this thing happens sometimes in wrestling where there's a character that's so good, you feel like they can afford to lose yeah. because people will still be interested. And that's true for a certain period of time. Yeah, but you go like one or someone, they just did that to someone. Yeah, I lost like two or three, and you feel the audience just kind of yeah. get less excited. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then eventually, I mean, it happened to Bray. To who? And it, it happened to oh, Bray Wyatt. Right, in his right, first, right, right. In his first run, like when it was like, oh, this is somebody. And then it was like, oh, uh, he's an attraction. Right. Still interesting, but he's lost a whole bunch of big matches. And then within, you know, a few months, a year of that, it's like he's all the way back down here. Didn't they do something cool to make up for it after Hell in a, uh, Hell in a Cell. Yeah, they gave, but they won the title. He won the title, yeah. So, I mean... He survived an electrocution and won the championship. Oh, my God, that's right. <laughs> Jesus, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so maybe there there has to be a plan because they must have known people would be even more livid. Like, Saudi Arabia definitely killed that journalist and chopped him up. Where it's like, there are a lot of people watching that and are just like, I'm so upset on so many... <laughs> so many... There are just layers, layers of... Uh, of of just being horrified. Look and 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 you know, hardcore wrestling fans don't like shows that are not done for the hardcore wrestling fans. Right. Hardcore wrestling fans never like wrestling shows that are done for a different audience. And I get that. I mean, if you were like a hardcore fan of a band and they were like, Yeah, but this one isn't for you guys. We're playing other songs to try to get new people to listen to our music, you'd right. be like Validate oh. me. Yeah, yeah you'd be like, oh, you guys have changed. I'm, I'm, when you do my podcast, the, the, one of the main things I want to talk to you about, and one of the reasons I really like you, um, and I became a fan of, of the show, is like that you want to like things. And there's definitely this culture of people just wanting to... Uh, wanting to hate things for the sake of it. And I think that's just like psychically a bummer. Um, but like, I enjoy all of it. Like, like I sat there and I watched the match. And I went, oof. Yeah. And then I went, this is going to be fun. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, oh, people are going to oh, pay. Boy. And when I saw like, like Ricochet get like completely dismantled, uh, I go like, I go like, okay, I get it. You want to make Brock look as strong as possible going into WrestleMania 
doesn't do anything to help Ricochet. They, and they did that with Kofi. And I was really bummed out about because when Ricochet, I mean, I lo- I've loved Ricochet for a very, very long time. And when him and Alistair were teaming together, it was just the way they just, you know what? They were doing what we were talking about with um, The Fiend, with, with all these people who come in and just right away are making noise. But they were doing it. It had nothing to do with their character or gimmick. They were just doing it because they were wrestling their asses off and people really appreciated it. And, you know, they started bumping him up. They started bumping him up. But I think people knew, I mean, they knew he wasn't going to win because you have this Brock Drew McIntyre match you're setting up. So I, I was even bummed out they made the match because mm-hmm. with Ricochet, I was like, you could have, if you if you, if you you drew it out patiently, you could have that Kofi, Shawn Michaels, whatever. And then... Just to have him completely squashed. Yeah, like, yeah, that's it. I'm like, look, no matter what the context is, no matter if it's WrestleMania season yeah. or whatever season it is, I don't care if it's Yeezy season. Yeah. Ricochet's not beating Brock Lesnar. No. I get that, like, like in the fantasy, maybe. Yeah. But, like, at no point Mm-mm. in WWE... Is Ricochet beating Brock Lesnar? They literally had Brock Lesnar come down and win a Money in the Bank match that he wasn't in. <laughs> right, kind of like the Undertaker winning a winning a gauntlet match. That was that he wasn't in. We have to talk about that later. But uh, uh, but I do. I think that the one thing that could have happened was maybe give me a fifteen percent chance that Ricochet might win. Give me give me a ten percent chance that Ricochet might win. Show right. me a moment where there is a vulnerability. That said. I think that the energy that you get from that match only makes you cheer Drew McIntyre and boo yes. Brock Lesnar because you we do like Drew McIntyre. Fans what? like Drew McIntyre, and so it's like it's not like like the feeling is not oh they're sacrificing Ricochet because like the Roman Reigns feeling because they oh like they sacrifice Daniel Bryan because they want to get Roman Reigns to be the guy. People are pissed. Yeah. But the feeling of sacrificing Ricochet to make Drew McIntyre even more the guy, I don't think people are pissed. Well, that was what happened in the Royal—well, for the Royal Rumble, for example, I was pissed in the beginning, where I was like, this is— But well, ag- but again, that's but the pay- by design, right? And the, yes, and the payoff yes. with Drew McIntyre was so good that it ended up being one of my favorite Rumbles. Yes. So, like, I think that me and probably a lot of other people still have, like, Kofi PTSD, where, like, that— the way they built Kofi up and then just that squash. I was so mad. I was livid. And that's what I thought the Rumble was going to be. I'm like, are you literally going to ruin the Royal Rumble and just have him win this way with and, these and like the, long, boring pauses? But okay, see that? And, and again, you know I'm the eternal optimist. Yeah. Right? And that sentiment right there is the benefit to having moments that get you so upset. Watching Kofi Kingston get yes. squashed in 10 seconds. Watching Ricochet get squashed with zero offense. It leaves you watching The Undertaker lose the streak. Right. It leaves you in the position where you're watching any Brock Lesnar match, even if it's the Royal Rumble, and you're like, there's at least a 50% shot that he could squash every single person on the roster Into and win this match. Yeah, he I might, le- they might I do that. I legitimately thought. I was like, son of a bitch, they're going to do it. And so the... Which if he hadn't squashed Kofi or he wasn't the type of person to squash Ricochet or he hadn't ended the streak, you wouldn't be thinking that. You would be sitting there going, well, they would never just let Brock Lesnar squash the entire roster. But because it's Brock Lesnar and because of what has happened in the past, you're going, they might let Brock Lesnar squash the entire roster. And so what happened last night, as pissed off as I was as a Ricochet fan or as pissed off as I was as a Kofi fan, 
or at the beginning of the Rumble, the Rumble was kind of a microcosm of this Brock Lesnar long game that could lead to WrestleMania. So you were so mad in the beginning of the Rumble, which made it so much sweeter mm -hmm. when McIntyre slams him out of the ring. So is could WrestleMania be the moment that instead of making up for the first half of the Rumble, you're making up for Kofi. You know, he's winning for Kofi. He's winning for Ricochet. And it makes Brock losing such a bigger deal. Um, yeah, I mean, and I think that I think that the whole purpose of Brock Lesnar existing is so that when he finally does lose, it's a huge deal. But it has to be the right scenario and it has to be the right person. The right guy, yeah. You know, Seth Rollins beating Brock Lesnar should have been that moment. But... People want the Seth Rollins that we have now. They didn't like that Seth Rollins. So it didn't become that moment. So in between last year's WrestleMania and this one, WWE needs to remind you of how much you hate Brock Lesnar yeah. so that we can kind of tweak that a little bit and actually have the moment that we want to have. And I think that there is that that can happen now with Drew. Okay, so I'm sold on the Brock Lesnar thing because of the way it's setting up Drew. Can you please do one of your happy optimist run throughs of what? Because the problem with Ricochet is he wasn't a huge personality. Mm -hmm. He's just this incredible wrestler who overcomes odds and Brock shut that down. So it's not like he can like rely on like some big Mike personality or whatever to like win back or start coming up from under the ring like the fiend. That would be very awkward if Ricochet tried that. Um, so how, where do you, where does he go? Does he just go back to just mid card doing cool flippy shit? I think that's it. Uh, I think it's just. Uh, yeah, Rico Ricochet's an attraction because here's here's the problem that you do you do those video packages leading up to the match and Ricochet goes, "Why not me?" And then I watch the Brock Lesnar match and I go, uh, "That's why not you." Yeah, because that's because that's what it's happens that. to you, right? I really liked him. I'm not crazy about uh, what they're doing with Alistair right now. I actually really like them as a tag team. I really like that tag team too. I thought it was really cool. Um, Alistair on the mic. Uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, and uh, yeah, there was something really cool about like their styles were so different when they did the like sitting Indian style yeah. handspring stuff. Uh, um, I liked that tag team a lot, actually. I would love to bring that back. I mean, Ricochet seems like such a star, but because of what you just said, like if he's not gonna go that big, um, and they kind of gave him his chance, like maybe just put him in like a murderous tag team, yeah. And that's where it's like, if and and when you have a combination like that where you have sort of intimidating big muscle guy or whoever it was with Aleister Black or whoever it is. Two dudes with attitudes. Is that who you're talking about? <laughs> then you have your two dudes with attitudes again. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, and I, I'd say the other thing uh, big coming out of uh, Super Showdown was the big gauntlet match. <laughs> the Undertaker coming out. Okay, look. Winning I, the trophy. I can say... AJ going down. That was... Again, that was so many layers of disappointment. Where it seemed like they were doing uh, with truth, mm -hmm. like the like, oh my God, he's going to overcome all odds. Mm -hmm. And then AJ kind of unspectacularly wins. So like that's like disappointment number one. And here's the thing. Goldberg I didn't come up with. Undertaker I did come up with. Mm -hmm. The I, I feel like just production wise, they could have done it so much better where it looked like it was an intern with fake boots. Uh, when they showed the backstage with the Undertaker, You're, oh, we're, I think we oh. might disagree with this. Oh, okay. Here's what I let me say. What I would have liked first. Yeah, yeah. What I would have liked was if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna for some reason have the Undertaker come back and to win a trophy, um, and go after AJ Styles, the, the what would have been really cool is if they cut back. You can still have the guys down, right? 
Um, maybe the, the commentary, they're confused. They're like, did Ray do that? Like, uh, whatever. Then don't show the boots backstage. Cause that kind of made it unclimactic. I think then just go, what happened to them? I guess Ray Mysterio's coming out, whatever. Dong. Then the, the gong happens, lights out, lights up. He's in the ring because nothing makes me happier than run-ins and saves. And especially like old guys coming back. That is a awfully long run-in. But look. And AJ just stayed there. I would have left. I would have taken my trophy and left. I mean, the entrance is the whole act, though. You're not gonna. Ha- you don't ha- fly the Undertaker. But all the, the rage to Riyadh and him showing up to is not have the long entrance, the entrance, and the lightning indoors, and the fire, and, and then here comes, and, and he's walking, and it's like okay. something out of Tombstone. Then don't show the boots in the that bomb. I'm okay. You with like not, it? No, I'm okay. I would be okay with not showing the boots, especially because we all kind of knew. Right, we knew the Undertaker was. Well, now I was off us, but, Twitter, so I did not. Know. Okay, so WWE tweet WWE tweeted Undertaker's in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> so it's like, oh, all right, so I guess like that we makes know it he's a doing, little because we I, know he's doing something. Okay, because I didn't see that, mm-hmm. so that's why it was a little more ridiculous. Where I was like, okay, so when you were saying how his entrance is the thing, yeah, to me that kind of took the umph out of the entrance. His entrance turned into like leather boots on a video package from backstage. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. So then, whereas if you just heard the entrance music, I I would have, like, gotten up and been like, oh, and I would have thought it was cool. Yeah, I guess I would have been fine. I would, it didn't bother me at all. But I would have been fine if you just saw Big LG and Carl Anderson laying out. Um, I definitely, look, there's literally not one wrestling show in the history of wrestling shows where I would, A, Take out an Undertaker entrance. Sure. Or 100%. B, wouldn't just add one. Right. <laughs> Every wrestling show that doesn't have Undertaker on it. Yeah. If somebody came to me and said, should we add an Undertaker entrance here? I'd be like, yeah, we should. Uh, we should definitely have the Undertaker yeah. come out here. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, I and it, I didn't need him to win the trophy, but I, it's like. It almost would have been funny or made more sense if. By the way, uh. Shout out, I forget if it was Anderson or who did it, but when they were first laid out, I was like, oh, I guess Mysterio escaped. And then one of them did a really cool, they just went, like, and I was like. Oh, like they'd been choked. "Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, something darker happened. Yeah. And that's why I didn't want the boots. And then I was like, well, I guess that's what happened. Yeah. If you just heard the music from there. So, like, kudos on them for that, like, subtle sell, because I was like, yeah, I guess Mysterio kicked the shit out of them, which was kind (laughs) of weird. Um, And so, but yeah, the, uh. Entrance 100%. It almost would have made more sense to me if AJ was still laying out our truth and then it happened. Because The Undertaker, there's such mystique behind it mm-hmm. that I was just like, did he want a trophy? Because <laughs> like he doesn't seem like someone who would care about a trophy. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that the whole thing was just, number one, to have you know Undertaker at the at the Crown Jewel show. But number two... I mean, clearly we're setting up for an AJ Styles Undertaker match, right? I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's either an, maybe you're going to do a tag match. I don't know. But I, I mean, I think the idea of AJ Styles versus Undertaker at WrestleMania this year is like perfect. That is cool. Right? Like, and I mean, I think that AJ Styles is the perfect opponent for Undertaker because he's so good. He's and- so good. Yeah. What were the other. So besides Becky, Ronda, Charlotte. What were the other big matches at WrestleMania uh, last year? I'm spacing out. Uh, it was. Uh, it was great. Yeah, it was. It was a. 
Yeah, so I was Kofi versus Brian. Oh, right, 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 right. Brock right. versus Rollins. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I actually got kind of— No Undertaker match. No Undertaker match. I got kind of—when you were hyping WrestleMania, I'm excited about— um, I'm excited about the Charlotte match. I'm excited. There's yeah. a bunch of cool stuff. But I think for the hardcore wrestling fans to have so many matches where it's like older guy who you're concerned can't carry a crazy match versus, you know what I mean? Like if you're having Cena and Goldberg and Undertaker. To yeah, me, but you know what? Wrestling fans need to stop being concerned over who can or can't carry a match. Right. You know what I mean? How, yeah, how yeah. do you know? Right. Like just... Watch the match. If it's not good, say something then. But the I, I, I get so annoyed when people are like, I don't think he can do it anymore. Well, I even remember, I mean, I don't know if they were saying it back then, but I recently rewatched, uh, I'm Sorry, I Love You, uh, Ric Flair, Shawn Michaels. Oh, so good. So good. Like, you can do something incredible with any of those yeah. um, matches. But for me, like, I get more excited when I see the people that I know, but maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just nerdy wrestling fans. Like I get more excited at like, I don't know the whatever, like two high flyers versus each other or like a ricochet and, and stuff like the stuff that gets like sometimes put on the undercard. Um, or, I mean, it's not like we're not going to have takeover the night before. Takeover is so good. Right, man. Like you've got takeover the night before. I was going to say that earlier when you were talking about the first wrestling match your wife liked. Yeah. Um, I brought a girl to NXT, and it was just a house show. Recently? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, uh, it was the night before uh, Portland, I think. Uh, or it was a couple nights before Portland. And, I mean, granted, we had, like, like we had, like, Kyle seats, so they were great seats. And this girl had never seen wrestling. Uh, totally out of my league. Here's the thing. Uh, first date wrestling match, kind of a solid idea, because you can weed out the week mm-hmm. uh and it's it's so fun um but she was just like when you were talking about ring of honor shockingly because i'm like you're too hot to like this yeah uh and she was so into it i've never known anybody who hasn't enjoyed a live nxt show well yeah, and that's what i was going to say is this was even a house show so probably more similar to ring of honor where there weren't fireworks right because i think a lot of people like wrestling fans think all right, I got to get my girlfriend to like this. I guess I'll take her to like whatever the showiest one is, raw or whatever. There's just something dope about good wrestling. That's true. I mean, there was n- barely any mic stuff. Um, and we were kind of like on the stage, so we couldn't even hear what they were saying because we didn't have monitors. Um, and I I was like, well, she liked the first couple. And then I was like, certainly she's going to get bored. Yeah. Dude, so into it. So into it and into like the good spots into like the Matt Riddle back and forth into like, you know, um, so that's the move, by the way, the if you want to take a date. NXT is the best. They're so good. It's so good. Well, Jamie, where can people uh, where can people find you? Yeah. So uh, for MMA people, I have a jujitsu podcast called Rear Naked Radio. Um, that's kind of blowing up. And we have like a ton of UFC guys on. And uh, that's that. Um, my podcast where I tell sad stories about almost being abducted by Mick Foolies. And <laughs> uh, we talk a lot about like mental health and depression with just a bunch of nerds and weirdos and outcasts, which is probably this audience. Oh, and actually, uh, well, you're going to do it. Yeah. Um, Matt Seidel did it uh, this week. Um, who is phenomenal and great. Uh, and so there's a lot of like wrestling 
crossover because I just like talking about things I love. Right. Um, and because it used to be just a really shitty negative political show. And I was just like, I would rather make no money and never have to talk about Joe Biden again. Uh, <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. So that's Jamie Kilstein podcast. So Jamie Kilstein And then my Instagram is at the Jamie Kilstein. Love it. Jamie Kilstein. Thanks, man. Thanks, buddy. This is great. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.